What makes some people impervious to adversity? What kind of superpower do they have that allows them to get up after a major hit and find the willpower to lick their wounds and come out fighting? This week, hear Mark Crandall tell his story of beating the odds and show us how we all have this power of resilience within us. Most people take action or don't take action based off what they think other people are going to think about them. And I'm going to hand you the golden ticket right here. People are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And they're thinking about what you're going to do and how that's going to make them look. So when you really start to focus on why you're doing what you're doing and what you want to do in life, and you stop thinking about what other people are thinking, which is themselves, you can get really, really intentional and really, really clear on what you want to do, and you can live a life of purpose. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. I'd really love you, the audience, to play an active role in the show. So if there's a theme you'd like to see covered on the show, or if there's a guest you'd like me to interview, head over to anchor.fm forward slash PhD and drop us a voice message to be featured on a future episode. On the Papa PhD website, you can also subscribe to our newsletter and get our resource sheet at the bottom of every page, and you can also leave us a written message in our contacts page. Welcome to the show. Mark Crandall is a licensed master's in social work, and a licensed chemical dependency counselor. He is also a keynote speaker, a clinical interventionist, author of Embrace Your Past, Win Your Future, and the host of the Purpose Chasers podcast. Mark went from being a lost boy with countless traumatic experiences, to drug addiction, prison, and an undying self-hatred, to building multiple six-figure coaching practices, and being a highly sought-after clinical interventionist. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm super happy to have you on the show because I think you, you're going to bring uh, some, some themes to the show and some insight that haven't been covered yet and that might be very, very important for, for uh, our audience. So let's begin by the usual, which is tell us a little bit more about yourself, about uh, how you came you know, to, to, uh, to do what you do today. Again, thinking of the audience who are people who are either thinking of going to grad school of, you know, edu- educating themselves a little bit more or are going through grad school and wondering or maybe uh, anxious about what's coming uh, in the future for them. Yeah. So a little bit about my story, which you, you know, you touched on a little bit in the intro. So I was uh, taken by the state at three years old and placed in foster care. And both of my biological parents were addicted to drugs and alcohol and had some, you know, arguments and or tension within their relationship, which caused them to split when I was around the age of two and a half. And I was placed in foster care at three. And um, there's a lot of, you know, trauma behind that in this, you know, in the sense that I was handcuffed, locked in a closet, I was burned with cigarettes, my sister was thrown down the stairs, my sister has cerebral palsy. And we happen to be placed in the same foster home. So I'm going to speed this up for the sake of 
what you groomed me on talking to your audience about before we, you know we hit record on this interview and i want i just want to get into the to the meat of it so the long and the short of it is i had a very very confused childhood i was constantly questioning what was wrong with me comparing myself to other other people you know my classmates the you know those that were better athletes than me those that were better at academics than I was. And um, I, I had a real rough spell. So I was like setting fires and lying and stealing at a really young age, probably around 10 or 11. I had a chins petition filed on me, which is a child in need of services. So my adopted parents went to my therapist at the time, basically convinced him, which wasn't hard to do, that I was out of control. They reached out to the state and essentially said, hey, you know the one that you gave us? He's kind of screwed up. Will you help us? I went into institutions. Um, I was placed in uh, group homes and learned more about um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll from older kids that were in these institutions. And yeah, I got out of there about two and a half, three years after going in and started using, uh, I first started using marijuana and alcohol, quickly progressed to a lot of marijuana, a lot of alcohol, pills. Uh, I became addicted around the age of 15, I would say. I had full-blown addiction and, you know, dropped out of high school. And I, I was I was homeless at 18 years old, and that's when it really started for me, the drug addiction, the criminal activity. I got arrested for some burglary charges and went to county jail for the first time. That was the first time that I sobered up. And after being released from county jail, I went back home to live with my adoptive mother. And really, I really had intentions of getting my getting my together, so to speak. And I was going to do it differently this time. And, you know, I had these grand plans and designs. What I didn't know was I had a lot of internal stuff going on inside of me that I really had no control over. And so when I came out, it took me about six months and I was right back into the same criminal activity that I was engaged in. I was addicted even more than I was before I was incarcerated. And I ended up getting uh, four more burglary charges, blacked out on uh, Xanax and alcohol and cocaine one night, and ended up going to prison. And in prison is when I hit bottom, so to speak. And I used drugs the whole time I was in. I was in prison. And my bottom, if you will, was this contemplation while in prison when I was about to be released to go to a long-term drug and alcohol rehabilitation center and I couldn't stop using and I had this contemplation of like, what in the hell am I doing? If I can't stay sober in here, how am I going to stay sober out in the real world? And that was really the first uh, deep introspective work that I had ever done. I went to this treatment center on August 23rd, 2007. And that is when I found out that I had been living my whole life as a victim. And boom, that was the fastest I've ever told the, uh, the backstory. But I mean, I, I guess I could say this, like at age seven was the first time I contemplated suicide. 
I, you know, I just, I lived with inside of this victim mindset that the world had wronged me and I was going to take back what I felt the world owed me. And so there I was in this drug and alcohol treatment center, just this lost, angry, confused 22 year old kid who had no hope. Um, you know, high school dropout, got my GED in prison. Just, just, in, I was just a, a shattered mess of a man there. I'll give you the foundation for the rest of the interview. Yeah. So, so you had a lot of rebuilding to do. Question, uh, that, that introspection that, that you did, was it something that you did like just solo within yourself or did you also have someone or a structure in, in, in prison that, that helped you also uh, do the, you know, understand that you couldn't keep on going like this? No, it was, it was a self-reflection. I mean, talking about, stuff like that in prison is not the cool thing to do. And um, they weren't set up in a way that you had access to immediate, you know, counselors, therapists, or doctors. Yeah, no, there was, there was uh, nothing going on like that. So something inside you, there was a switch that went click. No, no, no more of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Well, it wasn't even no more of this. It was just, it started with the, uh, I mean, it really started with the foundation of like, what in the hell am I doing? Like, I can't go on like this. That's how it, that's how it started. So then uh, you went to, to this rehabilitation um, uh, institution or center. How long after that were you on, on track to, you know, to what you do today? I still don't think I'm on track. <laughs> But, you know, how, how long was it to, like, to kick the habit and to, to start having projects and start building things towards a, a, a future that you you were the, the driver of instead of being a victim. Yeah. I mean, this really goes into, this really goes into what you, you know, what we were discussing before we hit record on this interview. And that is, I really, I'm going to say it and you can edit it out or we can end the interview if you don't like it. Um, the idea of chasing credentials and degrees is nothing more than this internal void that goes on within us. So the more credentials that I collect, the more degrees that I collect, it's really just a rep representation of how inadequate I am as a human. And so I went down that path and it's still, I still can get caught on that path. I contemplate going to get my PhD for what reason? I have no desire to teach in the academic setting. It makes no sense. And so, you know, I've chased, you know, getting more credentials behind my name and You know, well, I'm a number one best-selling author and, you know, a, a paid keynote speaker. And like, how many more accolades can I put behind my name so that when an email comes to your inbox, I look more important. And that is really, I mean, you're hitting me in a time in my life when I just had a son. So I'm really contemplating what I'm doing and really getting intentional around what I'm doing. But everything changed for me. And, and set the foundation of what I'm doing now, probably two years after being released from prison. I was terminated from parole early due to good behavior. I was painting and drywalling because I had a felony rec you know, I had a felony record and, you know, the stereotype was I was never going to get a good job and I was never really going to be able to do anything because I was a felon and blah, 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 and all the stories that were going on in my head. And I wanted to break away from it. I was in my undergraduate degree for human services and everyone in my cohort, they were all working in 
the field of human services and I wanted to. And I was like the only one that wasn't. Well, and I was happened to be the only one with a criminal past in my cohort, but and uh and I sought a mentor and because I was really really obsessed with personal development. So I was reading a book by Tony Robbins at the time, Awaken the Giant Within. And he was talking about mentorship. And I approached a man that I wanted to mentor me. He happened to be the prof- one of the professors at the university I was attending. Asked him out to lunch, told him what I wanted to do. He got me a job interview. I got the job and that started it. And so the point that it really changed for me, I get bored really easy. Uh, I'm really, really intelligent. I'm a really fast learner and I'm an overachiever. And so it, it takes a lot to keep, to, keep me, um, to keep me hooked. And so I got bored. I was the runaway and homeless youth social worker at this uh, runaway and homeless youth drop-in center. And I was going into schools and I was doing street outreach and I was providing in-home therapy for court-ordered youth and their families and doing all these things you know, like three years out of prison, four years out of prison. And I was just bored. I wanted to do more. And a job opened up within the state to work at the youth detention center. And everyone around me said, no, like you're not going to get it. Not with your record. The state's never going to hire you. And I hit this place, which I wish everyone on this earth hit. And I hope that everyone listening to this episode hits. And I hit this place of where I really just took a step back and looked at what people were telling me and what I was thinking. And the, the revelation that I had was that if I continue to tell myself that I can't do it, if I continue to listen to other people tell me that I can't do it, then I can't do it because I'm not going to take any action towards attempting to do it. And so I finally decided in that moment that I was going to go find out if I could do it. And what that looked like was I applied for the job at the state and I got an interview and I went in that interview and I crushed the interview and I got invited back for a second interview and I nailed that second interview and everyone said like, they're not going to hire you as soon as you tell them you're a felon and da, 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 da. And we were at the end of the second interview and they're like, is there anything else that we should know? And I was like, yeah, you should know that I, you know, I do have a criminal record and, you know, I can provide, you know, testimonial letters and character references and whatever you need. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's not a problem. What's it for? And I was like, you know, burglaries and, and I got hired, but that's not the moment that it all changed for me. I got hired and disproved my mind and disproved all the people around me that said that I was never going to get hired. The moment that it all changed for me, was I got a phone call while I was working at the institution that I was working for. It's the Sununu Youth Services in Manchester, New Hampshire. It still operates. It's a correctional facility for court-ordered youth. So it's basically a detention center for, for troubled youth. And I received a phone call, and the phone call was from the local paper, and they wanted to interview me. Somebody had reached out to the paper and said, you know, Mark Crandall, convicted felon, was hired, like, this is a great story. Like we can slander him or whatever they were thinking. And I, you know, got on the phone with the paper and I had to, you know, reach out to a superior who reached out to the, the woman who oversaw the facility, who was like one level down from the governor of the state. And she said, absolutely. You can't, cannot do the interview, blah, 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 blah. I went back to my mentor. My mentor said, look, if they call you on a Friday, know that they're about to print that article for the Sunday paper, which, you know, newspapers are kind of a thing of the past, but 
Sunday papers are the paper. Everyone gets yeah, the yeah, Sunday yeah. paper because all the funnies are in there and the coupons are in there. And so sure, sure enough, uh, Friday night, I got a call at the facility that I was working. You know, I was working when they called and it was the paper and I got on the phone and I'm like, you know, sorry, I can't do the interview. They're like, oh, we really want your input. We're about to print this article. And I'm like, yeah, I can't, I can't give you anything. I was told you know, not to participate in this interview. Thank you for reaching out. And I really wanted to do it. And I really wanted to do it because whether you're a convicted felon or not, that doesn't really matter. Like that's just, uh, it's really a metaphor for life. Every single person, everyone listening to this podcast, yourself included, myself included, we have limiting beliefs. We have, we have belief systems that are either produced by society or fed by society, produced in our own minds of things that we can't do. And the things that we can't do actually stop us from attempting to do them. And so there I am, Friday night, I go home. Saturday, I go into work. Saturday night, I'm like trolling the internet. I'm waiting to see when they release their, you know, their snippet of what's coming in the paper on Sunday. There it is. The article drops. Saturday night, it was like six or seven. I'm in my office and I, I just started crying. I became engulfed in fear and everyone's going to find out. Like now they're all going to know. What are they going to think of me? My career's over, blah, blah, mm -hmm, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all the stories and the fear and the inadequacies and everything just cropped up inside of me. And it just became this like, I, I had an anxiety attack. I didn't have a name for it. So I didn't sleep well that night. 5 a.m. I'm on my way to the store. I go buy the paper. I pick it up. There it is. Convicted burglar counsels youth. That's the headline, front page, head, dead center article above the fold. There's my mugshot from when I went to prison, and I just became engulfed with fear. And I paused, and I, you know, I I took some deep breaths, and I said a little prayer, and I re I read the article in that parking lot, and I became just so full of gratitude. And I went home, and my wife was like, you know. Well, how is it? I was like, it, you know, it's good. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's amazing. She's like, well, what do you mean? And it was in that moment that everything changed for me. And that's like, and that was back 2010, I would say. 2010, that's when everything changed for me. And when I realized that everything from my past was going to be the platform in which I shared with other people. Like, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are as a person or what you think other people are going to think of you. Like if you don't take action to do the things that you've been called to do, you're never going to do the things that you've been called to do. And my experience is if you are resilient, you can do anything that you want to do. And I mean, I'll give you another example. Um, I couldn't get anyone to book me to speak, right? I couldn't get people to book me to speak. Why? Because I didn't have a speaker reel. No one had ever booked me. And if you don't have anyone that's ever booked you and you don't have any video of you speaking, you're not going to get booked to speak, right? And so I just said, you know what? Screw it. With my new mindset, I said, I'm going to create my own event. <laughs> I created an event. I donated all the proceeds to charity, right? The, the event came off just stunningly, it was an amazing event. I hired a videographer. He shot all the footage. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I'd spoken a bunch, but never on a stage, never given a keynote. I was the headliner of my event. I crushed it. I got a speaker reel. I mean, now I'm getting paid thousands of dollars to hit stages, right? And it's like, if you put, 
if you put more energy into how you can't do it and why you can't do it, than you put into how you're going to do it and what it's going to look like when you do it, you're never going to do it. And so that's the shift. And I just gave you five minutes of me ranting about what set the platform for what I'm doing. That's fine. And, and it, it totally translates. It can translate uh, to, to what, what I see a lot uh, in people who are either in grad school or who are, you know, who just, you know, understood that they'll have to find a career that, that's not academic because academia has just this many spots that, that can be filled. But I just have one question. So the article was positive. No, it was super negative. It was, it was the, yeah, it was, I mean, it was the like, um, what are those, uh, the inquirer, like it was like one of those gossip, you know, it was convicted, you know, convicted burglars counseling youth. Here's Mark, here's his prison sentence. Here's, you know, he was released early. Da, 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 da. It was like, they didn't, the spin that they put on it was like, I can't believe the state hired a felon, but my mindset shifted after I read that. And I was like, what a glimmer of hope for all of those that don't think this is possible. And I can't even, I've done so much work online with my podcast, with my speaking and all the content that I do and all the interviews that I've done. I can't even find the article anymore. I can't find it. Like I've done so much work within, you know, SEO, search engine optimization that I can't even find it. I've looked for it like, I've spent hours looking. So if anyone's listening, if you can find that article, I really want to put that article on a slide in my keynote talk, but I can't find it anywhere. What I find interesting in, in what you're saying is you can come out of youth or of uh, school with uh, some stigma around you or, or some idea though, oh, uh, I've, I'm, and it can come from family, for example, oh, I'm lazy. But what I, I'm getting from what you're saying is, look, I, I have a past that's pretty bleak and I was able to make something really awesome, you know, kind of not erase it, but erase the stigma that, that, that's associated to it. Forget about that stigma and say, no, as of today, I decide to be this Mark Crandall and, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to find in myself the will to do it. And I, I think it's, it's very inspiring. And for people who are, either, you know, in the last years of their PhD or, 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 you know, deciding that, you know, they want to do a master's instead of a PhD because finally it's, they don't feel that, that uh, the, the investment of time, et cetera, uh, in a PhD is something that's for them. Uh, doing a pivot is always possible in your life. That's the message that, that I'm getting from you. Am I reading you right? Oh, you're, I mean, you're reading, me, you're reading me like a book. So there's really... There's ego gets ego gets a really bad rap, especially, you know, I've studied the Eastern traditions of Buddhism and, you know, I've studied Christianity and it's like the ego needs to die. You need to kill the ego. But there's two sides of the ego. And one side is the greatest resource that you have. So I have a mind that tells me that I'm not as good as you. That's one side of the ego. Then I have a mind that tells me that I'm as that, that I want to tell me that I'm as good as you. Like you're not better than me. That's not bad. I can do anything that you can do. Like, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's really not, it's not bad to believe that I can do anything that you can do. Now, there's another side of the ego, which tells me that I'm better than you. That side of the ego, it's not so good. So I try to, I try to go in the middle, which tells me that I'm as good as 
you and I can do anything that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now what I'd like to, to know, because I don't know how, you know, a master's in social work. So you told me you, you ended up going to, to university and then you decided to go a step further and get this degree. Uh, and uh, I'm sure getting this degree opened doors professionally in terms of what you could do, especially if you're, if you're licensed, right? Uh, but can you just share with the audience, uh, with us a little bit of what this degree is about? How was your experience, you know, getting into the academic, uh, the academic environment and, and working to work toward this degree and how you felt when you had, you know, finished it and, and, uh, and gotten it? Yeah. So my story is a little bit different in the sense that probably three years after getting my degree, I realized that I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for anyone. And you know, I moved to Austin, Texas and got surrounded by some entrepreneurs and found out I was an entrepreneur and I wrote my first book and then I wrote my second book and then I started speaking and then I got away from traditional therapy altogether and started doing positive psychology coaching. And I just didn't want to be dictate. I didn't want anyone to dictate what I do, but I just started kicking the door in on what humans could do. Like we were told that in grad school that social workers essentially were going to make just above what their clients made. And, you know, we generally work with like lower income families, right? In, in social work, stereotypically. And so really, here's the thing with degrees, in my experience, and you can edit this out if you want. My experience with degrees and credentials and trainings and courses and events and all, everything to do with personal development is it creates esteem, right? So the only way to create self-esteem is to, is to do esteemable things, right? To build esteem, to, you know, Maslow calls this the, you know, the attempt of gaining self-actualization, which is the highest level of self, right? In the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. Right. So you go get your master's degree, you gain some esteem from doing that. You go get your PhD, you gain some esteem from doing that. From society, from your peers, from your family, right? Yeah. The praise of others builds you up. Oh my God, you're so great. A Facebook post. I drop a Facebook post. I just got my I just got my master's degree. Yay, 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 yay. And then I hit my head on the pillow and I'm like, what now? Right. And, you, and it's like you get this course training. I see it so many so often in coaching. Right. Everyone wants to be a certified coach, whatever the hell that means. The certification programs don't mean anything. They just they give you the esteem. They give you the confidence to go do what it is that you want to do. So individuals that aren't doing the work on themselves to continue to 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 feed the esteem, the self-esteem to push them to take the actions that they want to take. They're going to continue to chase carrots. I just did an episode on uh, the Purpose Chasers podcast. It's called Stop Chasing Carrots, right? And you, you attend events, you go to get your PhD, you do all these things and you're chasing carrots. But then when you get the carrot, either you nibble on it and it tastes good or you see another carrot and you start chasing that. And anyone listening to this, I don't care how many professors the university that you're trying to get into hires there's a way that you can stand out above any of them. It just takes resilience. It takes work. I could get my PhD tomorrow and get hired at a university. It's a mindset. 
if you if you're constantly and i'm going to share this i'm going to drop the hammer there's no like outside of comparing yourself to other people there's no such thing as success there's no such thing as success yet we're chasing success in our society and you can't it's unattainable unless i'm comparing myself to david david has his phd i need to get my phd bah, 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 bah. and we just chase and we chase and we chase and we chase and we never get there yeah it's out and we live in a world of comparison with social media and we have Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and I can make myself appear to be anyone that I want to be. And so now you're seeing me online and you're like, oh, wow, Mark's getting paid to speak and Mark's, you know, got a number one bestseller and Mark's doing all these things and he's got a couple podcasts and he's got thousands of listeners on his podcast and blah, 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 blah. And you're just constantly chasing what is success based off what you see. So what is success? That's what I would ask your audience. Like what you listening to this right now, what is success for you? Success for me is very, very simple. I want to create the financial security for myself and my family so that when my son wants to go throw the baseball, I don't have to be strapped to a laptop or working for somebody to do that. That's it. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And and I, I think it's, it's an important thing to hear, although, like you said, it's a, it's a big hammer to drop, but you know, people might fall into this automatic thing of, okay, I finished university, now I go do my master's, or you know, automatically, what's the next step? Go do my PhD. And for people who find themselves in grad school, but feel like, okay, I don't think this is for me, you know, deciding to close that chapter and go do something else if you have another plan is fine. Because you're gonna, you have this, this other idea of success inside you that does not fit into this avenue of, you know, getting a, like a, de- a degree, a, a, a doctorate or a, P- or a master's, like like you were mentioning, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, for other people, you know, they 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 were inspired by scientists during their childhood or, or their youth, and they kind of strive to emulate what what they saw, what they read about, uh, often they can be a bit uh, disillusioned with the reality of it, which is successes and Nobel Prizes are, are you know, are small bleeps in a huge universe of failures, right? Uh, but what I find interesting is, um, yes, having this, you know, comma PhD or comma MSc or whatever after your name to put on your, on your, uh, uh, on your card that you're going to present people, it has some psychological effect on you, right? When you, you finish, you defend, you do that Facebook post, like you said, I totally agree. And, and it's very ephemeral. It, and the next day you wake up, what now? You're totally right w- with that. And, and what, one of the reasons why I'm really happy to have you on the show is, I think a lot of people deal with this, what now? And, and some, of, some people, and not some, a bunch of people actually have trouble dealing with this doubt and with this uh, unknown that, that comes after because having those little letters doesn't create your life for you. You have to go create it. Um, and I think we can maybe talk about some uh, advice you have for people dealing with these doubts and these anxieties. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you do. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it in part two. I think we're going to take our little break now and then resume. Before going on with the interview, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you like an episode and feel that it's helped you or inspired you in any way, share it with your friends. Maybe it will inspire them too. And be sure to follow Papa PhD on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
we heard uh, Mark's story in part one of, of the episode. Um, and uh, I think for anyone who's, uh, who's feeling either imposter syndrome or uh, asking themselves where the, whether they deserve to be where they are right now, either academically or professionally, uh, you, you can see how uh, you, can, you can get inspiration from Mark. Um, and I was just mentioning how dealing with things like imposter syndrome, uh, you know, thinking you, you don't belong uh, in academia is, is quite prevalent. Um, a, a lot of people, uh, th- there's a lot of people dealing with mental health issues uh, and anxiety, uh, you know, either, either d- during grad school or at a point of a pivot in their career. Um, so, Mark, how, what, what could you share uh, with the audience in terms of um, finding like th- that power within themselves to, to deal with these things and to make uh, their lives uh, easier to live and to see kind of a, a light in the end of the tunnel instead of just seeing, focusing on the darkness that, that sometimes may have uh, too much importance. Absolutely. And I think the, the most overlooked or I guess underexamined aspect of life and what we're doing in this life and the carrots that we're chasing and the degrees that we're getting and the credentials that we're seeking and the events that we're attending is most humans, I would say a majority of the race, your audience included, myself included at one point, have no idea why they're actually doing what it is that they're doing. Why are you getting that degree? Why are you attending this program or that program? And, you know, this will be the time that I plug, you know, the work that I do. That's why I started the Purpose Chasers podcast. That's why I started the Purpose Chasers Academy. That's why I started the Purpose Chasers community is to to work with, create a community, coach individuals, and highlight reasons why individuals need to find their why, right? Simon Siddick did a beautiful TED talk on it. Like start with why, like all six, like super successful businesses know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Most people just chase carrots. They get a degree because that's what they need to get because their family said that they should, or society said they should, or David had those credentials. So I think they would look good on me. Why are you doing what you're doing? And, you know, I have a lot of people that I work with when we start outlining their goals, right? And I always do a a kind of a mind dump with them. Like, what do you want to do? I want to do this. I want to write a book and I want to get paid to speak and I want to do this thing and I want to have coaching clients and I want to build a six figure coaching practice and blah, blah, blah. And I want to have a course and I want to do this thing. And, okay, great. Why? Well, what do you mean? I want to make money and I want to have an impact and da, 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 da. like, great. But why? Like, what's the deeper why? Like, I want to create financial security for myself and my family so that when my son comes down into my office to tug on my pant leg and ask me to go throw a ball with him, I don't need to worry about how the mortgage is going to get paid. I can get up from my laptop and go throw the ball with him. Like, why? I want to wake up every morning and hook my bass boat up to my vehicle and go fishing. Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? You can't hit a target that you can't see. And if you're shooting at targets that that you can't see, you're going to hit all kinds of other people's targets, right? Like you're going to hit what other people are shooting for. 
Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? When you get really, really clear and intentional on why you're doing what you're doing, it just becomes so cool and you get to be a part of the journey. And so I, I was, I flew to, you know, I flew to Austin to take a job. My wife and I moved to Austin, Texas for me to take a job at a drug and alcohol treatment center. And I was working there for about six months and I attended this workshop and I overheard this man, Nathaniel, who was my first business mentor. And he's now a business partner in a digital marketing company that we have, and which is like full circle. And I overheard him talking about how he was living out of a Ford Sprinter van and he was wholesaling land and he was living off the passive income that the land was generating and da, 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 da. And he was living his dream. He was skiing and hiking and just flopping wherever he wants to flop without a worry in the world and money was hitting his mailbox. And I asked this man out to dinner and started picking his brain and he paused in the conversation and said, what do you want to do? And it was like in second grade or third grade when the teacher goes around the room and asks you what you want to be when you grow up, it was like it all came back for me. I remember it like it was yesterday. I wanted to be a weatherman. I wanted to, I just remember watching the weatherman on TV and he would talk and da, 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 da. And he couldn't be wrong because even if he was 50% right, he was still right. And like, you know, I was like, I just, you know, and it all sparked for me. And I said, I want to be an author and I want to speak and I want to host events and I want to do positive psychology coaching. And I don't want to, you know, be confined to office hours and I don't want to work for anyone. And he stopped me and he said, Mark, you're an entrepreneur. I was like, what does that mean? He said, meet me tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. at Egg and I, which is a really horrible breakfast place in Austin. Sorry if you're listening, Egg and I. It was just gross food. I met him there. I was there at 5.30 and he said, bring your laptop, a notebook, and a pen. And I did. And we launched my first LLC. And I knew nothing about business. Nothing about business. I knew all about working for other people and working hard. And come to find out, like I, I, I'm a business consultant now. Like I'm currently working with three companies on scaling themselves out of their companies, right? Like I'm really skilled at business. And this was, I think I started my company four years ago at the time of this airing of this episode. And I'm just like really skilled at business, but I didn't know, I would have never known I was skilled at business unless I stuck my toe in the water and checked it out. And most people don't ever check things out because they don't know their why. And if you don't know your why, you're not going to experiment. You're going to get caught doing what you think other people want you to do. And you, it's just a really horrible existence that I was living for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. uh, something that, that you said uh, is, is something really interesting to me is, is the role of mentors. You've, you've mentioned two mentors so far. And first, I, because one was, was more on the entrepreneur side. He probably saw something in you that that thing that you didn't see yourself oh i'm good at entrepreneurship he, in your conversation you must have you know gathered something okay this guy i need to talk with him and and point him towards this um the other mentor uh i think was during uh during uh was it your undergrad uh the the one that that got you that that uh, interview that you got you got hired first uh on the on that first job how important were have mentors been for you in, in this, uh, in becoming who you are today? And how would you advise people listening to find, you know, to keep that ear open, to find someone around them that could mentor them towards, uh, you know, leveling up to something different? 
Yeah. So mentorship is really a, it's probably like a triple-sided coin if there is such a thing, which there's not, but it's, I believe that mentorship, I still have a coach, uh, you know, I'm working with a coach, I actually just paid him for the entire year up front to mentor me. He's about, he's about, I would say one and a half levels above me. I'm chasing him fiercely. And, and he's actually, you know, he's actually throwing me, throwing me bones along the way because of my, my desire to chase. But mentorship brings accountability, which is I have a call with him tomorrow. It's our weekly coaching call. I haven't done what I committed to do on our last call. He's going to ask me why I haven't done it and what my plan is to get it done. Right. And I have all kinds of excuses. Well, my graphic designer didn't produce what I needed her to produce, so I couldn't do the thing and da, 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 da. But the reality of it is, is I just didn't do it. And here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I've done to make sure that I get it done by this new timeline. So there's the accountability aspect. He also pushes me outside of my comfort zone. He's, he's dedicated to stretching me. And to I'm in a place right now where I have so many things going on in my business and in my life that I'm stretched. I, I'm very, very intentional about my time. My time is time blocked out. And I'm very, I mean, even you, you were very persistent to get me on this podcast or I wouldn't have done it because I have interviews right now of people that want to interview me that I'm just not following up on because I don't, I'm very, very intentional about my time. So there's the stretching aspect. He's making me uncomfortable. Last night I was writing email copy at 2.30 in the morning, right? Like, it just, I'm very stretched. And the other side of it is the relationships. It's, uh, there's relationship capital that comes from mentorship. So a lot of people that come to the Purpose Chasers Academy and they want me to coach them, it's because they've seen what I've done. So they want to do what I've done, which is one aspect of mentorship. So they want to get, you know, they want to finish their book and they want to start getting paid to speak and they want to build a coaching practice. So they want to build a course and they want to become relevant in the, in the world of thought leadership, right? So there's that. Then there's the relationships that I could present to them, right? So it's the relationship capital. Like a lot of people ask me to coach them because they know I'm super connected in the podcast world and I can make introductions to get them podcast interviews once they have all that they need to have. So that's the main, the main reason for mentorship. It's not, a lot of people see mentorship as he's going to get me there or she's going to get me there. That's not, that's not it. I won't take those clients on. Like, I'm going to guide you. You're going to have to do the work and I'm going to push you to ensure that you do the work, but it needs to come within. And the only way that it's going to come within, the only way that you're going to walk on the coals when you don't want to walk on the coals is when your why becomes so big that you can't move forward. So purpose is definitely something that I think is, is central for any human being uh, to, to have a healthy inner and outer life. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and, but I, I feel that one of the things that may happen when, you're, when you follow up you know, studies after studies is, especially if you end up uh, having to leave academia for some reason and do something that's not academic, you know, when you're still in university, you, you're doing a master's, you're still within university, you're doing a PhD, you're still within that framework. And then you hit the, the actual job market. And um, for a lot of people, it brings a lot of anxiety. It brings a lot of doubt. And, um, you know, people may have a lot of trouble adapting to that. Do you have any advice in 
adapting to change and and because for sure it's something that that you've dealt with basically do you have some final like like three uh, pieces of advice for people who need to do some big changes in their life and that are now stressing about it yeah i have i have the the absolute perfect advice uh for your audience and what what i want to say is most people take action or don't take action based off what they think other people are going to think about them. And I'm going to hand you the golden ticket right here. People are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves and they're thinking about what you're going to do and how that's going to make them look. So when you really start to focus on why you're doing what you're doing and what you want to do in life and you stop thinking about what other people are thinking, which is themselves, you can get really, really intentional and, re and really, really clear on what you want to do and you can live a life of purpose. So to me, a life of purpose means that I'm following through with what my heart is calling me to do, regardless of what I think David thinks or what I think you listening think. And it, it just creates re a real fulfillment for me. That's why I've gone as far as I have to lock the Purpose Chasers brand in. It's a registered trademark. Like it's mine. Like it's it's, it's my, they're my people. They're my tribe. They're individuals that are going against the stream to chase what it is they've been called to chase. And, and that's just it. I don't care what you think about me. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a golden ticket. Like you say, if, if, if you're able to follow that, follow that, you'll always be in a good place. Uh, Mark, uh, it's, it's, we're getting to the end of the interview. Where can people find you, follow you, you know, see what you're up to? MarkCrandall.net's my website at the Purpose Chasers is it's all of my social. So I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram. Um, Instagram and Facebook are my two. Uh, I have a YouTube channel as well, but Instagram and Facebook. If you go to Facebook and you type at the Purpose Chasers, uh, you will you will find me. I'm there. Awesome. Mark, it was a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, I think again, you brought a very different but very, very uh, pertinent uh, point of view to, to Papa PhD. Thanks a lot for having accepted uh, my invitation. I know you had to move uh, you, in, in the meantime, and that's why we, you know, we had to, I had to wait to get you on the show, but thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.